Father, we just want to thank you for the breath of life you've given to each of us here today. We thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. And as we study this subject today, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit in a mighty way. Teach us, Lord, what you want us to know, that we may follow you. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Now, each day of class, we actually go deeper and deeper and deeper. You got it? So by Friday, we've really gone deep. Okay, we're, we're not on the surface. <clears throat> we're going deeper into the Word. So like I said, some of this is, um, we'll get into one today that's uh, in parts pretty technical. But that's okay because we'll make it simple. By the way, I was sharing with a guy the other day, yesterday, if anybody here doesn't understand what I'm saying, I want to make it clear. I want you to be able to understand clearly. Nobody go out of this place not understanding what we're saying, okay? Because I've seen people do that before. They'll go through a meeting and then they'll leave and they'll go, man, I didn't get anything out of that. I didn't understand it. Have you ever been to that kind of thing? I don't want that to happen. So if anybody has that kind of thing, just simply say to me, explain it. Because I want it to be clear and straight to the point. No misunderstanding. Okay? We're looking at Dale Ratzliff, and this is a response to Dale Ratzliff. <clears throat> and Dale's come up with an argument that some people have not heard before. Some of you may have heard it, but a lot of people haven't. And he goes into Genesis. We're going to cover no evening and morning, no word Sabbath, part two. That's what we're going to cover today. But I want to start off with a Bible text. Very, very important text. Because I believe biblical truth will prevail. What do you say? Truth will counter error, but error will never counter truth. And so how are we judged? Well, notice what Jesus says. I want to start off with this text today. Very important text. Because if you're not in the truth and you say something that's not right, guess what? It's going to come right back around and bite you. That's exactly what's going to happen. And we're going to see that today in our study. But I'm going to quote a, a text that Jesus said this. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 37, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be what? Condemned. Condemned. By the way, there's only going to be one person keep you out of heaven. One person. You know who that one person is? Yourself. It's not going to be your church. It's not going to be your pastor. It's not going to be any of that. It's going to be yourself. So by our words, we're justified, right? Or by our words, we're condemned. Now, I want to go to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to look at, excuse me, chapter 2 and verse 1. We're going to look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it He had rested from all His work which God created and made. Now, do you notice in this text about the seventh day, there's no evening and morning. Did you notice that? If you read Genesis chapter 1, all the way through the narrative of creation of each day, you read, and the evening and the morning was the first day. And the evening and the morning was the second day. But when it comes to the seventh day, there is no evening and morning. So here's what Dale says about that. <clears throat> 
He says, the seventh day account, point number one, the seventh day account does not have the formula, and there was evening and there was morning. morning. So here's point one. Here's what he says, point one. Okay? Now, point two. By the way, if you could turn your cell phones off, that would be good. Point number two. There is no mention of the word Sabbath in the Genesis account. So when you read Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, did you read the word Sabbath? No. So he's raising these two points right in Genesis that there's no evening and a morning attached to the seventh day, and there's no word Sabbath in regard to the seventh day. Okay? So what are we looking at? We're going to cover two points today so we see it clearly. Number one, no formula, evening, and morning. Number two, no mention of the word Sabbath. So he thinks he has a point. We're going to look at it carefully. So let's start with number one, no formula, evening, and morning. By the way, what we're going to look at today doesn't only counter what Ratzliff says, but also an atheist on the days of creation. So we're going to cover some things today that's really going to be really insightful when it comes to dealing with an evolutionist or atheist as well. Because sometimes, you know, they'll say, well, creation was thousands or millions or billions of years, right? And so we're going to look at that today, too, from the Bible and the Bible alone. So Ratzliff in his book, Sabbath and Crisis, here's what Dale says. While some have argued that all the days of creation are long, indefinite periods of time, the text of Genesis does not support such arguments. Wow, now that's good he's saying that. That's a good thing, right? Now, do you remember what I talked about yesterday when I mentioned the Paul principle? Where he's standing there watching them both fight each other? Well, we're going to see how this happens to these guys, and we're going to look at it today. He goes on to say, neither is there sufficient evidence, it seems to me, in the whole of Scripture to draw such a conclusion. Now, here's what he says. Rather, I believe we should accept each day of creation as a regular day marked with evening and morning by the rotation of the earth. If the first six days of creation are accepted as regular days, it can be assumed that the seventh day would also be what? A regular day. Thank him for saying that. Because watch what happens. He says, I believe we should accept each day of creation as a regular day. We should accept the seventh day of Genesis 2-2 and verse 3 as either a regular day marked with evening and morning now, watch what happens. Or, now these are two different ideas, got it? Or, as an indefinite period of time, and then he says, both are possible interpretations drawn from the facts of the Genesis account. You see, it's amazing. What do we say as Adventists that confusion, Babylon is confusion, no. And what is that confusion? A mixture of truth and error. A mixture of one thing with that of another. You see, the devil's not going to come to you and say, follow me, I teach 100% false. I teach 100% error. He's not going to do that. 
He's going to mingle and mix truth with error. And so there's partial truths in some of these things. That's what's so deceptive. Because what's not true in a partial statement causes a false conclusion, doesn't it? See, he said one thing by believing it's a regular day. Now he's giving another option by saying both are possible interpretations. That's not true. And we're going to see that. Now, I'm going to look at the Paul principle. Yesterday I mentioned at the end of the meeting what I call the Paul principle, where Paul gets these two guys opposite of each other, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, opposite of each other in their teachings. Well, watch this. Now, Dale Ratzliff looked up to Walter Martin. And um, Walter Martin wrote a book called The Truth About Seventh-day Adventism. Now, watch what Walter Martin says about these days of creation. Here's what he says. He quotes Dr. J. Oliver Buswell, who was a theologian, Greek theologian and Hebrew theologian, and listen to what he says. The question is, what do the Scriptures teach in regard to the length of the creative days described in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through to chapter 2, verse 4? This is primarily a question of hermeneutics and exegesis. By the way, do you know what exegesis means? It just simply means, it's a biblical term that scholars use to simply mean to read what's in the text, draw out of the text what's in the text. Okay? Asegesis means somebody reads into the text something that's not there. Exegesis is drawing out of the text what's in the text. Okay? That's all it means. Hermeneutics is a word to apply its interpretation. What does it mean? That's what hermeneutics is. Okay? See, these guys use words people don't know what they're talking about. They don't understand it, right? Just like when you go to the doctor, and the doctor tells you what's wrong, and he's using big words, and finally you say, Doctor, just tell me. Cut the chase with the big words. Tell me, am I going to die or not? You know what I'm saying? You see? Well, that's what these guys do. Anyway, we hold that the word day is used here as elsewhere, what? Figuratively, and represents a period of time of undesignated length. Okay? By the way, this group would be what you would call a theistic evolutionist. Have you ever heard those terms? Theistic, meaning they believe in God, but that it took millions or billions of years in creation. That's a theistic evolutionist. He goes on to say, Moses is the author of the 90th Psalm. We have in his own language a very clear reference to the attitude of God toward our earthly measures of time. The Adventists, what does he say? The Adventists tenaciously hold the six-day creation concept. That is, six 24-hour days during which God created the earth. If you have any doubts before this meeting today, you won't have any doubts when you leave. I assure you that. From the Bible. Listen to this. He goes on to say, their Sabbath theory would suffer a real setback if it could be shown biblically and scientifically that the days of creation were actually eras or long periods of time during which the earth's great geological structures were formed. Throughout the past century, each decade has seen fresh evidence uncovered by the geologists to substantiate their estimates the earth has been circling in its particular orbit for a period in excess of 4,000 million years. Now, this is a theologian saying this. Okay? 
Dale Ratzliff, watch what happens, disagrees with Walter Martin. Why? Because Dale said he believes it's a regular day, right? That's what he said. Then he brought this other interpretation. But he personally says, I believe it's a regular day. So what are we going to do with that? Well, Dale Ratzliff disagrees with Walter Martin on the days of creation, but does agree with who? Seven-day Adventists. Isn't that amazing? So I would say to Dale, if he were here, I would simply say, Dale, take your argument up with Walter Martin, because you're the one that looks up to Walter Martin. I don't. By the way, we don't need any of those guys. We could use the Bible, right? Dale Ratzliff concludes that each day of creation and the seventh day are a regular day. He agrees with seventh-day Adventists on the length of each day marked by evening and morning. Now, how am I going to prove all this? I do believe seventh-day Adventists are a Bible-believing church. Absolutely. We're standing on solid ground. So how are we going to do this? You know, a lot of people don't like the genealogies. You know, begot, so-and-so, begot, so-and-so, and so-and-so, begot, so-and-so, and so-and-so, begot, so-and-so. And we don't like to go through all those begots, right? But I want to tell you something. When we study the genealogies in the Bible, it proves a literal 24 hours in the days of creation. In the genealogies. And we're going to see that today. Now, have you ever heard people say, Oh, uh, you know, I'm not an Old Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian. You ever heard people say that? Well, I'll tell you what. The minute they say that, I know for certain one thing about them. They don't know the Bible very well. And I don't care if it's even a theologian that says that. Because you're going to see something today. Simply because they say that, well, let's go to the New Testament then. Let's do that. We'll go to the New Testament, and we're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus. In Luke chapter 3. Now, I've got it on the screen here. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, notice what the Bible says. Now, if you're taking notes, this is a good place to do it. Put it right there in your Bible. Notice verse 23. And Jesus Himself began to be about how old? 30 years of age. All right, now here's Jesus right here. Boy, this sure doesn't show up very good on this screen here. Right here. And we're going to go all the way through the genealogy in Luke chapter 3. We're going to go all through these texts, and guess where it's going to take us? All the way down to who? Adam. Correct? Adam. So here you have a genealogy in Luke chapter 3, going all the way from Jesus in back in time to Adam. Correct? That's what the Bible says, right? So in other words, this genealogy goes from Adam to Jesus, and then there we see in Luke 3, actually backwards from Jesus back to Adam, now, I'm going to ask a question. This means that on the sixth day that Adam was created, the sixth day, from the sixth day of creation to Jesus, the time would have had to have changed from the sixth day as a thousand, thousands, or millions, or billions of years long to a literal 24 hours. Can you see what I'm asking here or saying? Now watch this. So let's look at this again. There's Jesus all the way to Adam, correct? So what am I saying in this genealogy? Very simple, folk. Where did the change take place? In other words, if it was a millions or billions of years in creation, it had to have changed between Adam to Jesus somewhere, correct? 
You get what I'm saying? Okay. In other words, it would have had to have changed between Adam and Jesus. Well, let's look at the Bible. New Testament. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age. Now, a question we would ask, is that literal? Was Jesus really about 30 years old when this happened? That's what the Bible says, right? Is there anything that would be in the text that would imply it's figurative or symbolic, not really 30 years? Anything there that would imply that? Absolutely not. When it says 30 years, guess what that means? 30 years. Now, it looks like most of us here have been 30 at one time. Correct? Yeah. <laughs> you see? So that's 30. Doesn't mean something else. It means 30 years. Well, now it's interesting because if you went to a Hebrew Bible in Genesis, we're going to see something very interesting. Remember, Jesus was about 30 years old here, right? In Adam's genealogy, Adam lived to be 930 years. That's how the Bible describes it. Now, if you're going to go with the Bible, and if you have just the Bible in your hand and the Bible only in your hand, and you go to the genealogy of Adam, you're going to discover that Adam lived to be 930 years old. Now, take your Bibles, okay? Open them up. If you have your Bibles or on phone or whatever, open them up and go to Genesis chapter 5. Okay, Genesis chapter 5. And somebody read for us. Genesis. Well, I better read that. Let me get that so it'll be taped. Genesis chapter 5. And notice in this verse, carefully, and you might want to underline it. Genesis chapter 5, it says right here in verse 5, And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years years and he died underline 930 years because we're going to see something i'm going to ask you the question how many times is the word years mentioned in verse 5 how many times is the word years mentioned in verse 5 one time i'm talking about verse 5 one time correct okay well we're going to see something because here in the genealogy of Adam, verse 3, it says he was 130 years old. Then it says he was 800 years in Genesis 5-4. And then it says 930 years in Genesis 5-5. Okay? Now what's interesting is that these texts have the words in the original language appearing more than once. Like it says in Genesis 5-5, if you were to look it up and you would find this word for years you would discover that the word years is actually used twice in Genesis chapter 5, verse 5. Two times. And what it says literally is Adam was 900 years, got it? And 30 years. Now this is very important. Very, very important. Okay, but in your English Bible it only says years one time. Genesis 5, 5. Okay, now watch what happens. So you have in Genesis 5, 5, 30 years, and Luke chapter 3, 23 about Jesus. Remember, the genealogy went from Jesus to who? Adam, okay? And Luke says 30 years, Jesus was about 30 years old. Well, my question is this. What is the difference between 30 years in Genesis 5, 5 
and 30 years in Luke 3.23? That's one of those questions you would ask these guys. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's one of those questions you would ask Dale Rapsus. That's one of those questions you would ask people who are even evolutionists. That question right there. Because there's no difference. They're both 30 years. Okay? It's all through the Bible. Matter of fact, in Seth, all through Genesis, you find here when it says 800, literally it says 800 years and seven years. Those are showing units of time within the context of years. Okay? Some places you can look through the Bible and you'll find three times the word years is mentioned. For example, you talk about Sarah or Abraham. Abraham was 100 years and 70 years and five years. What does that mean? He was 175 years old. See? So each one of those is a unit of time. It's very important to understand that, especially when we get into the days of creation. So my question would be, what is the difference between seven years in Genesis 5-7 and seven years in Luke 2-36? None. No difference. Same way with 12 years. You find it all through the Bible. So what's the difference between 12 years in Genesis 5-8 and 12 years in Matthew chapter 9, verse 20? So what we're actually doing is we're going through the whole Bible, see, in reference to time, biblical time. Okay? And like I said, it goes all the way through. But what I want to show you now is very important. The same words used in these texts in Genesis and in the New Testament. So when you compare the Old Testament with the New Testament, you're going to discover it's the same duration of time. Seven years in the New Testament means the same thing as seven years in the Old Testament. Twenty years in the New Testament means the same thing as twenty years in the Old Testament. Everybody understand that? Okay, so let's move on here. I want to go right into this. Here's what I was showing you in Genesis 5.5. So when you read Genesis 5.5 in the English Bible, it says, and all the days that Adam lived were 900 years and 30 years, and he died. But what's in the Hebrew text is this. And all the days that Adam lived were 900 years and 30 years. See that? So that shows that this is an element of time, and this is an element of time. Right there. Okay? Now, a second way to prove the days of creation in literal time is what I call the age chronology. Now, I have to do this to set us up for understanding what we're going to get into in a minute. But this is what I call the age chronology. If you ask somebody, doesn't matter what denomination, if you ask somebody, who's the oldest man that ever lived and died in the Bible? Who would you say? I mean, I, I knew that when I was a Methodist. I knew that when I was a Baptist. You know, everybody knows Methuselah was the oldest man that ever lived and died, right? You know, I have to qualify that by saying died because in one meeting a guy said, well, I know somebody that never died. Of course, we know that too. But I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about somebody. So who was the longest that ever lived and died? That was Methuselah. Methuselah lived to be 969 years. Now see, these are all genealogies. You go all the way from Methuselah all the way down. Now, the best way to understand the genealogies is to study it yourself. I thought genealogies was so boring, but boy, when I got into this, it changed everything. Literally everything. Okay? 
So Methuselah. Now the next in line was Jared. Jared lived to be 962 years old when he died. And I believe that's what the Bible says. I believe it. Especially when you go all the way down through the genealogies. There's nothing to indicate that means something else other than what it really is. Do you understand what I'm saying? So then you come to Noah. By the way, Noah outlived Adam. Noah lived to be 950 years. He outlived Adam. Adam lived to be 930 years. So when you look at an age chronology, you have Methuselah, Jared, Noah, and Adam. Now, watch what's going to happen next. I'm going to focus on Noah. By the way, did you know that Noah lived all the way down to Abraham? Did you know that? And did you know that Adam lived all the way down to Lamech? Amazing. Now watch this. We look at Noah, and you remember the flood? Wasn't it interesting? The Bible says during the time of the flood, there was seven more days, 40 days and 40 nights. After seven days, second month, 17th day of the month. On that day, 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, 40 days, 150 days. Now let's ask the question. Did Noah live during the time of the flood? Now does the Bible say that there was 40 days and 40 nights? Now is that literal? 40 days? And 49. Isn't that amazing? He outlived Adam and he lived 950 years during literal time. Yes or no? 40 days, 40 nights, seven days, 17th day of the month, second month. Isn't that amazing? And all these are Bible texts here to do it. When I did this research, I found hundreds of Bible texts to prove the days of creation are literal 24 hour days. Hundreds of texts. Amazing. You see, because if it's literal time, by the way, have you ever heard of literal years without literal days? It's impossible. Correct? That's impossible. You see? So this is a, a very important point. Matter of fact, here's all these texts. I know it's small on the screen there, but I couldn't put them any bigger to put them all on the screen there. But uh, here's all these texts to prove that during the time of Noah. So what do you have? From the birth of Noah to his death was what? Literal time. Genesis 8.13, one year. Genesis 7.17, 40 days. Genesis 7.24, 150 days. Genesis 7.4, seven days. Look at all that. I mean, that's amazing. That's literal time. He lived 950 years. He lived older than Adam. And it was during literal time. Correct? There it is right there. So you go from Adam all the way down through the genealogy to Lamech. And here's literal time here. So if Adam lived shorter time than Noah, certainly the days of creation would have had to have been literal time. Yes? And then when you get to after the flood, you got Shem 100 years, Genesis 11.10. And there was two years sandwiched right between 500 years right there. Two years. It's right there in the Bible. You see that? So if you compare before the flood, after the flood, you got 30 years, Genesis 5.5, Genesis 11.14, after the flood, Luke 3.23, after the flood. And it's so clear, especially when you get into the original language on this. That's why I said it's heavy, because the people who study the biblical languages, they're going to see this when you point it out. You see? And I'm trying to make this simple. 
for you to understand it, okay? So, when you compare Old Testament, you find 65 years, Genesis 5.15, Genesis 5.21. So you can see all the way through. Look up years, look up days, all through the Bible. It's very important. Same way Old Testament, New Testament. You have two years, Genesis 11.10. Is that two years different in time duration than Acts 19.10 when it mentions two years? Not at all. You see? Then when you get into days and nights and months, Genesis 38.24, three months. Luke 1.56, three months. Is that three months or is it something different? Okay, have we proved this point? Do we understand it? Okay. So, here's how I'm going to qualify this to understand what's happening in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Here it is. To assume the day, the word day is used in Genesis as a regular day for the whole of creation as one interpretation, Genesis 1 verses 1 through 2, 4, and 5 verses 1 and 2. Let me give you an example of that. Take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 5 verse 1. And I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. So take your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1. Now let's look at it. This says, this is the book of the generations of who? Adam. In the day, got it? That God created man. There, the word day simply means time. Got it? You wouldn't translate that as a literal 24-hour day. We do the same thing. That's an idiom in the language. Biblical languages have idioms as well. Have you ever heard somebody say this in our idioms? You know, back in the day, are they talking about a literal 24-hour day when they say that? What are they saying? You're talking about time. Back in the day when I did this or I did that and my friend did, right? That's an idiom. It's a figure of speech. That's what's happening right here. See, the problem is people apply this to the wrong text. You see, and I'm going to show you how that's done. So, to assume the word day is used in Genesis as a regular day for the whole of creation as one interpretation would be incorrect, meaning the whole of the interpretation. To assume the word day is used in Genesis as an indefinite period of time for the whole of creation as one interpretation would be incorrect. The facts are the correct interpretation of the word day, both are correct in their what? Proper context. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through chapter 2, verse 3, each day of creation, including the seventh day, is a literal 24-hour day, and that Genesis 2, 4, 5, 1, verse 2, also the correct interpretation of day is simply what? Time. Okay, so what am I saying? To say as Dale does, a regular day or as an indefinite period of time, one at the exclusion of the other is simply not true. Both interpretations are found in Genesis, but both are not applied to the same text. Does everybody understand what I just said right there? Is that clear? Okay. So, here's what you have. Interpretation of the word day, literal. Genesis 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Yes. Same word. That's right, yom. Same word. 
But there are several reasons why we understand it to be a literal day. After having gone through the years like I just did, and the fact that there's numerical value attached to it, like day one, day two, second day, third day, fourth day, that's numerical value. Okay? And that changes interpretation. But you see, when you have in Genesis 2-4, you don't have numerical value attached to Yom. You see? It's referring to in the day that God created man. You see? Okay, so in chapter 2, verse 4, and chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, then that would be figurative. Got it? And simply an idiom saying, back in the day when God created man. Back in the time when God did that. Okay? Does everybody understand what I just said? Okay, so now notice how Genesis 2, 4 says this. <clears throat> These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day. That is what? In the time, back in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. That's how it's used. That's a figure of speech. This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day, in the time that God created man. In the likeness of God made he him. So can you see the difference between those two? Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day. That is, in the time when, got it? They were created. So you see the difference between interpretation of those two things? Right in Genesis. Right in the very chapter of Genesis 1 and 2. Now when we get to the creation in Exodus 20 verse 11, notice how the Bible describes this. For in six days, this is right in the context of the Sabbath, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, for in six days, that's literal days, correct? We've already done that. A regular day, just like Ratzliff said, a regular day. The Lord made heaven and earth. You see that? So there we find those six days are not figurative, but literal time. Okay? Now, let's look at number two. No mention of the word Sabbath. <clears throat> now, some people think, well, we've got you now, Adventists, because the word Sabbath is not even in the text. Okay? Now, this is going to be a little heavier. Point number two. He says this. Dale says, there is no mention of the word Sabbath in the Genesis account. Now, he says this in his books. And so, we're going to look at his one book here. Sabbath and crisis. And I want to compare the two to show you what he's done. He says this in the preface of Sabbath and crisis. This was his first book. And he says this in the book. All Bible references, that is in his book, are taken from the New American Standard Bible unless otherwise noted. Now, he goes on to say, and I put this in a different color because I want you to see it. It needs to stand out. I believe this Bible is one of the most trustworthy English translations available for serious Bible study, and I have used it for that reason. Now, he's talking about the NASB. You know what the NASB is. That's what he's talking about. But now watch what happens. In his next book, guess what he does? He omits all this. He omits it. And I'm going to show you why he omits it. Okay? He says this in his second book. All Bible references are taken from the New American Standard Bible unless otherwise noted. Now, he didn't go on to say his personal belief about it. He stopped right there. 
Just like this. But then he, in the first book, he went on to say all this. So what am I going to do? Watch this. I'm going to quote what he says, page 21 of his first book. He says, there is no mention of the word Sabbath in the Genesis account. Nothing is said about man resting. In fact, man is not even mentioned in connection with this seventh day creation rest. Why does he say that? Well, when you read Genesis, it says, and God rested the seventh day. Correct? Right? So he says this. Tomorrow we're going to look at man and commandment in Genesis of whether man was resting in Genesis when he points out that God rested. Okay? So now his second book, he did this. He added, he omits the highlighted part I have there and adds something in between. Because he knows he has to do this if he's going to be true to the text. Okay? Now watch this. There is no mention of the word Sabbath in the Genesis account. Now that's the same as he's saying here, right? To the left. Then he adds this. However, just a brief statement. However, the verb form for rested or ceased is used. Now we're going to really hit on that. And I'll show you why. But see, that's what he adds in the second book. Then he goes on to say, starts as another whole new sentence. Nothing is said about man resting. In fact, man is not even mentioned in connection with this seventh day creation rest. So let's zero in on this. Page 25 of his book, he says, there's no mention of the word Sabbath in the book of Genesis. He added, there's no mention of the word Sabbath in the book of Genesis, but its verb form is there. Now let's go to see what he actually says in his book. Watch this. He says, the one who is restoring Eden's rest, we find Jesus offering true Sabbath rest. Now I want to ask a question. So was Eden's rest the true Sabbath rest in creation? According to him, it is. Correct? Would you say then, and as if I was talking with him, got it? Would you say then that Dale is using the word Sabbath for Eden's rest in creation? Is he? Yes, he is, isn't he? That's not a trap question. He is. Based on Dale's own statement, what did I say about you're justified by your own words or condemned by your own words? Watch what happens. Based on Dale's own statement would agree that Dale applies the word Sabbath in creation. Yes or no? Based on his own statement. So let's ask this question. Dale says that, you know, uh, the word Sabbath isn't in Genesis. So let's ask this question. Was Jesus there in creation? Yes? Where's the word Jesus found in the Genesis account of creation? Is it there? You know, God and Elohim is mentioned 32 times in the first chapter of Genesis. How many times? 30, you could check it out. 32 times. Now, I believe Jesus was in creation, don't you? Ratzel believes Jesus was in creation. But you don't find Jesus' name in creation, do you? Not in Genesis. Would Ratzel conclude because Genesis does not mention the word Jesus that Jesus wasn't there in creation? And Dale even applies the word Sabbath to Eden's rest in creation. He calls Eden's rest the true Sabbath rest. Now, he's in a dilemma. Do you see the dilemma he's getting into right here? He is. 
The same is true of the word Sabbath as a noun. See, Dale's conclusion is the word Sabbath, see you have the verb and the noun. And his conclusion is that the word Sabbath noun is not in the text, like what you see in the New Testament all the way through, and they rested on the Sabbath day, and that kind of thing, all the way through the New Testament. So his mind's saying, well, if the Sabbath was in Genesis, it would have been the noun, not the verb. Okay? Now remember, what did Dale say that his preference to the Bible translation was? You know, it's kind of like this. When I study with Jehovah's Witnesses or other groups, especially Jehovah's Witnesses, you know what Bible I use when I study with Jehovah's Witnesses? The New World Translation. I use their Bible. I really do. Because their Bible, you could use their Bible to show them the Sabbath. You know that? Their Bible. So that's what I do. I use their Bible. Well, watch this. We're going to use Dale's Bible, the NASB that he uses, to prove his points. We're going to use the same Bible. Okay? However, Dale's conclusion is a false conclusion based on the absence of the noun Sabbath. Now, we're going to get a little technical, but I'm going to make it very clear before you leave. Okay? Simply because translators... Here's a key question. Simply because translators have not translated the word Sabbath in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3 does not mean the Sabbath is not there. And I'm going to prove that point. Okay? The Bible proves that point. For example, here's an old Bible. It's amazing you could go to non-Adventist sources to prove your point. You know, you hear people say, oh, but that's what your church teaches. Oh, that's your opinion. That's what your church teaches. That's your opinion. Well, you know what? I use other sources to prove that point. We don't have to use our own sources. Here's an old Bible, for example. Here's an old Bible. And notice what it says in that Bible. Now, this is old English. And what does it say there in Genesis chapter 2? What does it say? The first Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? I didn't produce that Bible. Seventh-day Adventists didn't make up that Bible. You got it? You see? Notice carefully the wording found in this old Bible. The first Sabbath. And we're not the only ones. And they're not the only ones. There's even more that says this very thing, and we're going to look at it. Evidently, they saw no problem who put this Bible together. Evidently, they saw no problem with the word Sabbath not mentioned in the book of Genesis, did they? No problem. So, Dale Rassif highly supports the New American Standard Bible, and for this reason, we will use it for this point of discussion. Dale's point is that the word rested is the verb and not the noun Sabbath. Now remember, this is technical. This is going to be one of those technical points. Okay? That's what he's bringing up. So he assumes that because the word Sabbath noun is not in the text of Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, that the Sabbath did not exist in creation. That's why he came to the conclusion that the Sabbath was only for the Jews the nation of Israel. So I ask the question, is this sound reasoning since the verb is actually there? To conclude, as Del Ratzel does, is not based upon a sound whole view of the Scriptures, but rather a very limited and narrow view of the word Sabbath as noun and the word rested as a verb. So let's look at it. If I may... I will use Dale's own words at this juncture. Dale says, neither is there sufficient evidence 
It seems to me in the whole of Scripture to draw such a conclusion. Now remember, I quoted that from him in regard to the evening and morning. Remember that? So now I'm going to use that statement and apply it to what he says here to disprove his own words. Okay? So Dale here, at this point, should take his own advice, right? And not draw such conclusions without taking the whole of Scripture into consideration. So what do I mean by that? You're giving a Bible study on the state of the dead, right? And people use one or two texts, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And you go, well, the best way to come to a sound conclusion in biblical teaching is to see what all the Bible writers say on the same subject. Right? Would you agree to that? And then you come to a sound conclusion, yes? That's the whole of Scripture. See what all the Bible says on that subject. So I'm taking what Dale's advice was, and he's not using his own advice on this issue right now. Sabbath, noun, verb in Genesis. You remember I told you that I, uh, Dr. Gladson was my professor, biblical exegesis. And I remember a conversation that I once had with Dr. Jerry Gladson about Dr. Desmond Ford's view of the sanctuary teachings. Remember Dr. Desmond Ford. And so I was talking with my professor, Dr. Jerry Gladson, about this very issue. And it's amazing what he told me. I remember clearly and distinctly Dr. Gladson's comment was that the book of Hebrews isn't the only book in the Bible that refers to the sanctuary doctrine. True? You see that? Well, guess what? Genesis isn't the only book in the Bible that talks about the Sabbath. The same is true of the Sabbath. There are other books of the Bible that clearly and distinctly refer to what? The Sabbath. For example, what do we have? The law of God, the Ten Commandments. Right there is the Sabbath, correct? And guess what? It points back to creation, doesn't it? For in six days, the Lord. I believe the Bible. Six days. Not 6,000 years, not 6 billion years, not 6 million years. Six days. Now, friends, if you don't believe that, you've already missed the foundation of what we really are all about. Creation. Seventh day Adventist. Seventh day takes you where? To creation. Yes? Adventists take you to the second coming of Jesus. Amen? From Genesis to Revelation is what we believe in the Bible. Now, watch this. Dale has published a revised edition of his book, Sabbath in Christ. And in the latest edition, he includes Dr. Jerry Gladson's response to my friend, Ron Dupre. I mentioned a little bit of that yesterday. And I mentioned that Dr. Gladson was a, my pr former professor. Listen to this. The point in Genesis is not the only book in the Bible. God has enlightened us with other sacred passages in regard to the Sabbath doctrine, as we'll see in this study. And for this reason, it would be well to understand what? The whole of Scripture of God's Word about the Sabbath. The evidence of Scripture will provide what Dale Ratzeff has what? Failed to see. And here it is. We go to Genesis chapter 2, and we have the verb right here, Shabbat, right here, for rested. Now, here's the question you want to remember. If you forget everything I've said today, write this one question down right now. If you forget everything I've said, write this question down. Now we're going to go right to the point. Is the verb in Hebrew, this is the question you want to write down. Is the verb in Hebrew in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 for rested, ever translated 
Sabbath in our English Bibles. You understand that question? Write it down. Is the verb in Hebrew in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, for rested, ever translated Sabbath in our English Bibles? Very, very important question. You see, one wishes that Dale Ratzliff would have addressed this point that I just shared with you right now, because he doesn't. Unfortunately, he did not. Now watch this. In the NASB, that's the Bible he uses and recommends. In the NASB, that's the New American Standard Bible, the King James Bible, the New King James Bible, and Amplified Version. By the way, there's a lot more. I'm just giving you a sample. Okay? The word for rested in the, is the same verb in Genesis 2, 2, and 3 is translated Sabbath in 2 Chronicles 36, 21. So if you opened your Bibles right now to 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 21, do that. Take your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter, I mean 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 21, and then you take your pen and you underline the word Sabbath every time you see it in that verse. 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 21. Okay? And we're going to show you something very interesting here. I'm going to use the NASB to prove the very point Dale Ratz have failed to see. Okay? 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 21. <clears throat> now here's what the text says. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbath. There's noun. That's the noun right there. All the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath. That's the verb. Same as in Genesis chapter 2. The NASB translated this word for rested as, guess what? Sabbath. Now watch when we get to the, the meaning of this, how important it is to understand this. So when you go to the King James Bible, same verse, same thing. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath. You see that word, her Sabbath? Now why do you suppose it's her Sabbath? Because the word land in Hebrew is in the feminine form. Her Sabbath. Okay? And then notice what it goes on to say. She lay desolate. She kept Sabbath. That's the verb. Now you're going to begin to see that when we get into Genesis chapter 2, in Genesis chapter 2, we're going to find that the form is the masculine form because God, Elohim, is masculine. So watch what happens. This is going to be neat. <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, the verb in Hebrew is in the masculine form and can be translated God. He, masculine form, kept what? Sabbath on the seventh day. Isn't that amazing? Right there in Genesis. So if you were to say, friends, if you were to say, you know, God kept the Sabbath in Genesis on the seventh day, that would be proper. That would be correct. Because that's exactly what he did. He kept the Sabbath on the seventh day. The verb is, can be translated Sabbath. Do we understand that? And if you check it out. You'll find that. The text I gave you, 2 Chronicles 36.21. The noun and the verb are both in the text, and they translated that word rest 
Sabbath. <clears throat> Yeah, well, actually, hang on to that, because we're going to get to that. Did you hear what he just said? He just said he has what we were just talking about. He has access to that, to Strong's Concordance. Okay? Now, we're going to mention that. So watch this. We're going to make it simple. All right? Now, 2 Chronicles 36.21 shows the association and relationship of the verb and noun. And that's just what he just said just a minute ago. Okay? Both the noun Sabbath and the verb Sabbath are referring to the same exact thing. Yes or no? So when you read 2 Chronicles 36.21, you see the word Sabbath there. That's the noun. You see the word Sabbath here. That's the verb. Are they talking about the same thing? Yes or no? Exactly. That's right. So when you have Shabbat, which is the verb translated in English, the Hebrew verb Shabbat, is translated in English Sabbath in the very translation that Dale says is what? Trustworthy, the NASB. The New American Standard Bible has translated this Hebrew verb in 2 Chronicles 36, 21 as Sabbath. The land is feminine. Sabbath is a feminine noun. The second Sabbath is a feminine verb. What does that mean? So here in this text, Bible translators acknowledge the noun Sabbath and the verb Sabbath, even translated by the NASB committee. So friends, if you say in Genesis, God rested or God kept the Sabbath on the seventh day, that's proper. That's proper. So here in this text, Bible translators have done that. It must be pointed out that the masculine verb in Hebrew in Genesis 2, 2, and 3, for Sabbath would agree with the masculine noun, God, in Genesis chapter 2, Verse 3. And now, God, masculine noun, rested, masculine verb. You could translate that Sabbath. This is the Hebrew syntax and grammar. The Hebrew verb is in agreement with the Hebrew noun. For those who don't understand the Hebrew, I told you it was technical, right? But I want you to be able to see it and clearly understand it. So, what are we going to do? For those who don't understand the Hebrew, just simply compare these texts using Strong's numbering system. Anybody here ever use Strong's numbering system? Now you're going to be surprised because when you go to 2 Chronicles 36, 21 and you look up that word for Sabbath, the second one, the verb, it's going to give you the number. Then go to Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 and guess what number it's going to give you? The same number. Same number. So let's look at it. Compare Genesis 2, 3, rested. Here's Strong's number, 76, 73. So you get your Strong's concordance. You look up this very word. Guess what the number is going to be? 76, 73. So you go to 2 Chronicles 36, 21. That verb Sabbath rested. Guess what it's going to be? 76, 73. Now you look at it yourself. You see that? You don't have to. Listen, you studied out for yourself. You know what's good about studying this out for yourself? Then you'll know. Right? I mean, I could stand up here and lecture or talk about it, but you will know, and then you'll go back and you'll say, wow, man, that was right. Study it out. And if this is wrong, you come and tell me, okay? Because I want what's right. I wouldn't want to mislead anybody. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. So the masculine form of the same verb, he kept Sabbath, Genesis 2. Verses 2 and 3, God, masculine. 
Feminine form of the same verb, she kept Sabbath. 2 Chronicles 36, 21. The land, feminine, kept Sabbath. That is, she rested that time period. Now, let's look at it a little further. It's not just this one text. There's other texts to prove this point. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 30, have you ever heard of what is called the LXX? You know what the LXX is? It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew. The Greek translation. Well, when we read our English Bible, that's simply a translation. Well, the Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Now, when you get to these texts, for example, in Exodus chapter 16, verse 30, is the Hebrew verb of Genesis 2, 2, and 3, for rested. Translated in, this, in Britain's LXX is in Exodus 13, 30, in English as, guess what? Sabbath. Sabbath. The seventh day Sabbath. So to answer the question, is the verb in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 ever translated into English as Sabbath? Yes. That's very important to remember. You see, because when we look at the Sabbath, we precede Moses at Mount Sinai, don't we? We go all the way back to where? Creation. And see, when somebody says, well, the word Sabbath is not even mentioned in creation, you could say now, oh, yes, it is. Because the verb is also translated Sabbath. Knowing this truth in the Bible weakens Dale Ratzliff's position. That's why it's important to understand this. Again, the LXX in Exodus 16.30 also translates this verb in English as Sabbath, the seventh day. In Hebrew, the same exact verb as that of Genesis 2, 2, and 3, and I gave you the reference there, same thing, even in the Septuagint, of the words used in these passages. So, it describes it in Exodus 16, 23, the people kept Sabbath. That's the verb. Got it? When you see the word kept with it, attached to it, that's the verb. Kept Sabbath. Okay? Now I'm going to move on because this gets a little, little more technical, but I'll move on here. And the people kept what? Sabbath on the seventh day. Here's what you have. Sabtizo, which is the verb. The Greek Old Testament translates the Hebrew verb in Exodus 16.30 with the Greek verb sabtizo. That's the verb. And it also means to rest. It also means to sabotage. Sabbath. That's what it means. So when you compare these passages, you get a, a good understanding, especially when you do the Strong's Concordance to see the number system in these texts. Now, when we look at the verb-and-noun relationship, what did God do on the seventh day? He blessed it, didn't He? He blessed it. Now it's interesting because all these texts here in regard to being blessed, in Genesis 2-3 you find the word the verb blessed. In Genesis chapter 12-2 uh, you find the noun blessing. Now is there a difference, really a big difference between what is being blessed, whether it's the blessing of a noun or the blessing of a verb? Is that really a big difference? It's not, is it? You could do that all the way through. He hallowed. Holy, sanctified, that's the verb. Holy, verb, you find in Exodus 20, verse 8. Well, you find the noun in Exodus 16, 23, about the Sabbath. And what is it? Holy, it's the noun. Now, what makes it any less or more holy if it's a verb or a noun? Nothing, is it? Same thing. Who said that? That's same thing. That's right. Same thing. Example after example. Noun, verb, association, example, noun, 
translated both rest and Sabbath. Example of verb translated both rest and Sabbath. Now, if you just took up these texts, forget all this, and just took up these texts right here, and looked these words up in a concordance, you're going to see what I'm talking about. Okay? So what is the origin of the noun and verb, or the noun for Sabbath? Well, William D. Mount says that in the New Testament, here's what he says. Sabbath, and this guy's a, a theologian, and he says this, he says, Sabbath, it is a transliteration of the Hebrew word sabbat and is related to the verb, what? Sabbat, verb, okay? Which is used of God's resting on the seventh day of creation. Now, how clear is that? Verb and noun. They're so related. Matter of fact, did you know Bible scholars say that the noun actually derived from the verb? That's what they say. Oh, did Strong say that? Yeah. It actually derived from the verb. Spirozodiades. He says that the noun Shabbat originated from the verb Shabbat. Now see, you know, some people would say, well, the, these guys are the ones splitting hairs, not us. Have you ever heard people get into a, a heavy discussion and say, oh, you're just splitting hairs, or it's a matter of semantics? We're not the ones splitting the hairs here. We're saying that the noun and the verb's talking about the same thing. You see? The same thing. Listen to what he says. It is from this root that the noun for Sabbath originates. A word designating the time to be set aside for what? Rest. Now tomorrow we're going to be talking about man resting on the seventh day. We're going to be looking at that. He says the verb is used of God to describe His resting after the completion of what? Creation. By the way, Spirozodiades was a Baptist theologian. He was, uh, he was the publisher of the AMG there in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, where they make Bibles. And uh, that's what he says right there. Very clear. This example of rest by God at creation set the requirement of rest. He desires for His people in order that they may live lives pleasing to Him, full of worship and adoration. Exodus 31-17. We couldn't have said it any better, could we? Worship and adoration. Connected to creation. Zodiades also translates the verb Shabbat into English as keep Sabbath. Now friends, this isn't an Adventist saying all this. He said, now here's Strong's. The verb Shabbat is the root of Shabbat. The Sabbath was the covenant sign of God's lordship over creation. And that's what we've been saying all this time. We keep the Sabbath as a memorial of God as our Creator. Right? Isn't that amazing? You can find that right there in Strong's. There it is. From this careful study, it is proven the verb and noun relationship. The noun Sabbath is derived from the verb and its relationship in regard to the seventh day Sabbath is synonymous in meaning. For example, God rested on the seventh day in creation. And God equates the seventh day on which He rested, kept Sabbath, with the Sabbath of Exodus, 
chapter 20, verses 10 and 11, and chapter 16, verse 26, and chapter 16, verse 30 in the LXX. So, to summarize this, the context of Genesis in no way distorts this relationship. Simply because the verb is used rather than the noun in no way diminishes the existence of the Sabbath in creation. It would be a word of wisdom to see what all the Bible has to say on the Sabbath discussion. Amen to that? Dale has based his conclusion on the omission of the word Sabbath noun in Genesis. And I say this is a false conclusion. Even Dale himself concludes that the seventh day is a regular day without the words evening and morning. Why wouldn't Dale apply the same principle, the whole of Scripture? And he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man. I like this. And not man for the Sabbath. Mark 2.27. Now we quote that text all the time. But I want to give you a little tidbit before we close today. We think like Westerners. Yes? Why? Because we are Westerners. Right? But if we went to Jerusalem, let's say we all packed up and we went to Jerusalem and we stand on the street corner of Jerusalem speaking English. Are you going to get very far with that? Why? What do they speak? What did you say? What did she say? Oh. What can I say? There's always somebody. Always got to turn the whole truck upside down. That's right. No, but they would be speaking Hebrew, wouldn't they? Modern Hebrew. So here's the point. You wouldn't be able to go to an English Bible to show them this text in an English Bible. You'd use a Hebrew Bible, right? Okay, now if you were in Israel, of course, many of the Orthodox Jews, they don't accept the New Testament, but we're talking about those who do. If you were to go to this text, I want to show you something very interesting. You see this word man in Greek is anthropon. It's in the generic sense, meaning the whole human race. Now I'm going to prove this point based on if you were to go to Israel and you're talking to a Jew about this text. Why would I say that? Because guess what? When you understand what the word is for mankind, you know what it is? Ha-Adam. Adam. In other words, Mark is saying, and the Sabbath was made for Adam. And Adam means all mankind. You could read it even in the Genesis account. Genesis chapter 5. He made man. He wasn't talking about just Adam. He made the whole human race. Got it? You see? And so here you have Ha-Adam. And so I ask the question, if you were to translate man in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, in Hebrew, what would the word be that you would use? I've got three Hebrew New Testaments, and each one of them say Ha-Adam, meaning Adam, the whole human race. You see? That goes along with Isaiah, also chapter 56. So this word is translated right here in verse 26 of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, verse 27, chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 5, verse 2. By the way, you could take pictures of this. Anything that we've got, you're welcome to. You want to put your camera up there and take pictures of this? Go right ahead. 
Okay? Feel free to do so. I can't make your class and I can't keep up with you, so I'm taking the picture. That's okay. No problem. Okay? So this is what the way it would be translated. So, for example, the word millennium is not in the Bible, is it? But the concept is, Sabbath is a concept throughout the Scriptures, and the word Sabbath itself is mentioned in the Bible, even in the context of a new creation. Isaiah chapter 66, verses 22 and 23. You know when it says, from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another? You know, some people get in this lunar thing and they say, oh, you mean we're going to keep Sabbath governed towards the moon in heaven? No. What that means is every Sabbath, every month. And the correlates with Revelation when it talks about there'll be a fruit, a tree for every month. Isn't that amazing? So from Sabbath to Sabbath, every Sabbath. It's also important to understand the parallel thought in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, with that of Exodus 20, verse 11. For example, what do I mean by parallel in thought? I call this a thematic pattern. A thematic pattern. Watch this. For example, there's a thematic pattern and a linguistic connection. Here it is. In Genesis, if you opened your Bible to Genesis chapter 2 and read verses 2 and 3, you would see something very interesting. God could have simply said the seventh day one time. You know, God repeats something that's very important to Him. You know, have you ever heard people say, well, you know, Sabbath's not important to me. The real issue, is it important to God? That's the question. That's the question. Is it important to God? When something's very important to God, He mentions it three times. And in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, you take your Bible, you open your Bible, and you count how many times God uses the very terms the seventh day. You do that. And guess what you're going to find? Three times. When you go to Exodus chapter 20 in the fourth commandment, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find the Sabbath between verses 8 and 11. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, that's the Sabbath commandment. You know what you're going to find there? The Sabbath is mentioned three times. Count them yourself. Three times. Now, God could have certainly said in Genesis one time, but He didn't. Matter of fact, God, Elohim, is mentioned, as I said, 32 times in the first chapter by itself, the first chapter alone. God could have used that word how many times? Once. He's telling us something when He says it again. Very important. Same is true in work. Work is mentioned three times. Labor and work mentioned three times in Exodus. So what we have is a thematic pattern. What he's saying in Exodus correlates with what he's saying in what? Genesis. It's a thematic pattern. So, let's wrap it up by going to our conclusion right now. We're going to make it very simple. And here it is on the screen. True interpretation versus false interpretation. Here it is. The seventh day in creation is a what? Literal day in duration, just like the previous six days of evening and morning. False interpretation. The evening and morning is omitted of the seventh day means the Sabbath is not in creation. See, that's the point they're trying to raise. You understand what I'm saying? That would be a false interpretation. True interpretation. The verb rested 
in Hebrew, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, can be translated, He kept Sabbath. We've proved that, haven't we? The noun does not have to be present in the text. Got it? False interpretation. The word Sabbath is not mentioned in Genesis, therefore their conclusion is the Sabbath did not exist in creation. Is that clear? Is anybody confused? Everybody understand what we just said? Right there? You see that? I was just reading in Smith's dictionary mm -hmm. about Sabbath and he concurs with what we're saying here. Right. And that's been around for a long Right. Long right. Well, wait till we get in tomorrow's study and you're going to see when we get into the idea of Adam resting on the Sabbath. Remember, his argument is that God rested on the Sabbath, not Adam. I'll give you that. Okay? So, my conclusion is this. What is it? I would hope that this study would encourage us to go a little deeper than what we've been. To study it. Study the Bible like never before. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank You for our class today. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we ask that You continue to lead us in this study, Lord, as we go deeper. Sometimes uh, these things are hard to explain, but Lord, we know that You could make it simple in our hearts and our minds. So Lord, we pray that You continue to draw us each closer to You as we close this uh, study today. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.